For too many years, we've been told to show the horse who's boss, use gadgets, and ride two and three-year-olds. We're expected to follow fashionable trends, like riding behind the vertical or with your horse's nose on the ground, and put our short-term performance goals before the long-term health of a horse. This sounds crazy to me, because we're forgetting all about the horse. In this show, you'll learn why groundwork, lateral movements, liberty work, and pole work are so important in your training program. Plus, how to build lightness and softness in the saddle by recognizing the try and building confidence in both horse and rider. We know that horses are only physically mature at five and a half years of age at the earliest. We believe that collection is not a head position. We know that older horses are not disposable. Walking 100 miles on foot is amazing to build that connection together. And that bitless bridles, California hackamores, bosal and macates can be really useful. We never place competition goals above our horse's health, and we know that self-carriage means that the horse does it by himself. We take as long as it takes, and we understand the importance of working slowly with the horse to build connection, trust, and partnership together, and we aim to always put the horse's mental, physical, and emotional needs first. So I promise to share all my horsemanship strategies with you. Sounds good? I'm your host, Elaine Heaney, creator of the Listening to the Horse documentary. Let's get the show started. I thought it'd be fun to do something a little different on this week's show. So I've lined up a special treat for you. Now over 100,000 horse riders around the world have watched the Listening to the Horse documentary. There's seven episodes in the full series, so it's over five and a half hours of content, which I know can be a lot to watch if you're busy. So today I thought I would play episode one of the documentary on the show. Enjoy. If horses could really talk, what would they say? Welcome to Listening to the Horse. Thank you for signing up to watch this seven-part docu-series. I'm Elaine Heaney, a horsewoman and filmmaker from Ireland. For this movie, I've interviewed some of the most amazing horse people in the world, and I'm excited to share their stories with you, so you can enjoy a happier and healthier relationship with your horse. In episode one, which you're about to see, we look at influencing the horse's mind, the try and the release, fixing problems and not pulling on your horse, and working with wild horses and young horses. In episode two, we're going to understand why groundwork is so useful, and you learn some practical and easy to follow exercises. We'll also explore liberty work, traveling horses, and go deeper into the horse-human relationship. In episode three, We'll examine riding and footfall, and why collection is something that is really important for your horse's health. We'll also take a look at the role of gadgets in the world of horsemanship. Episode 4 is 100% devoted to your horse's health. We interview vets, chiropractors, dentists, farriers and horse owners, and explore many topics, including the causes of some behavioural issues, first aid knowledge, lameness, colic, feet health, kissing spines and ulcers. In episode 5, you learn from experts about bodywork, healing and tack. 
we go in-depth about the importance of relaxation during training, animal communication, saddle fit, bit design, and hackamores. In episode 6, we dig deep into the rider's mind. We'll also look at the rider's position, health, and confidence issues. In episode 7, we'll explore the horse's home and environment, from stabling options, companionship and mental health, to environment issues and feeding. Over the next seven days, you'll learn some incredible and thoughtful insights about horses that may change the way you think about your relationship with your own horse. Horses are so forgiving and patient, and they deserve to be treated with kindness, patience, and understanding. I'm really excited for you to join me on this journey. Horsemanship is a way of life, really. It's not something that you just do when you're with your horses that changes everything about you. People are not really aware of what's available to them in the horse they already own. But every horse has the potential to do some amazing things. I think horses are perfect as they are until a human comes along and asks them to do something that they can't do yet. So as a trainer and as someone you know, working with horses, every day if something doesn't go well, I'm, I'm forced to ask myself the question, how could I have been better? How could I have been better for my horse? And I think forming that habit of self-reflection um, carries over into other aspects of life to know that, you know, I'm responsible for the cause and effect in my life and if anything's not working, um, to ask myself first, how could I have been better for this? So. Uh, that, I think, has led me to I, a, a more enriched life in general. Horsemanship isn't about controlling a horse's body, having it move in a certain direction at a certain speed so you can win a competition or get a new certificate to hang on your wall. Horsemanship is about communication. It's about being able to connect to a horse's mind and building confidence and relaxation. Dr. Robert Miller explains how important it is not to rush your horse or to create fear, which can actually stop the horse from learning. Let's look at how we can really understand and help our horses better by meeting Sue Palmer, a chartered physiotherapist from the UK. So often with training, we're thinking about asking the horse or doing this or doing that. And for me, one of the most important things is about letting the horse know when he's got it right. Because if he doesn't know when he's got it right, then how can he try to get it right another time? And the way that he knows that he's got something right is when you release the pressure. And that pressure can be from the leg, from the hand, from the voice, from people being around the horse, from the surroundings, from a noise. So pressure doesn't necessarily mean physically pushing or pulling on the horse. It's whatever that horse feels as pressure, but it's the release of that pressure that lets the horse know that he's got something right. Work slowly with whatever you do with the horse. That prevents the fear reaction that interferes with the horse learning. Best piece of advice I could give anybody working with horse. One of the most powerful tools in horsemanship is being able to recognize when the horse is searching for an answer and when they're trying to figure out what you want. As a horse person, we need to be listening to our horses 
and not distracted by talking to a friend, checking Facebook, or thinking about something that happened at home earlier that day. Horses want to get along. The better teachers and horse people we are, and the clearer we can make it when the horse gets something right, the easier it is for the horse to learn, and the more relaxed and confident they become. Ask for small improvements and build it up gradually. When your horse gets it right, give them a rest. Give them time to process what just happened in their mind. You'll actually see physical changes in your horse's body during this time, including their ears moving, eyes blinking, lips moving, and maybe even some big yawns. The time you spend allowing your horse to process each little try could actually be as important as the maneuver that you just asked them to do. Learn to recognize when your horse puts forth an effort and reward the effort. The outcome in that moment doesn't have to be perfect. He doesn't have to give you a perfect performance every time. If he just tries a little bit harder than he did the last time, acknowledge it, recognize it. It needs a bit of time to chew and lick and process what you're asking to do. And if you keep ramming down its head what you want it to do and demanding, forcing it, it'll end up getting frustrated. When you're training horses, ask for very little and reward generously. Horses learn the moment the pressure you've applied is released. It's one of the most powerful concepts in our communication with the horse. We'll meet Ben Hart from the UK, who underlines the importance of the correct timing of the release. We'll also meet Lester Buckley from North Texas. Lester rode with Ray Hunt in cold starting and horsemanship classes over a four-year period and he's also started over 3,000 horses. Lester shares a story about Snippelio and the importance of the release in encouraging this horse to try. Steve Halfpenny, a renowned Australian horseman who focuses on developing relaxation, confidence and soft feel in horses so that they weigh nothing in your hands, explains what the horse learns during the moment of release. We'll also meet Mark Langley, who explains why it's so important to allow the horse to search and find the release. Let's begin with understanding the importance of allowing your horse to relax after they get a release. Any type of release that you can give them and allow them to feel comfortable is the best thing you can do for your horse, whether you are on the ground or riding. Um, anytime that you put pressure on them to work harder, to think hard, always offer them a release, let them relax after they give you an effort. Building up that work ethic and encouraging your horse to always make an effort, whether it's right or wrong, is the most encouraging and motivating thing you can do to them. You know, behavior and your communication is all about timing. The release of pressure, the arrival of a reward, punishment if you choose to use that as a method of training, but get your timing right. Pay attention to your timing, it is your communication. When I was doing my seven year apprenticeship after college for the head trainer, by rights, he got the A string horses. And so he had this little horse, Snippelio, world champion father, world champion mother on paper. He should have been a great horse. And he just had no desire to work a cow. And so all the colts were started where we both got our own string of uh, cutting horses now. And he said, well, you now have Snippelio, Lester. And so I got Snippelio. And I said, you know, what we're doing is not working. Uh, do you mind if I experiment? And he's like, 
do whatever you want because he's not getting it done. He's not even trying. So I said in my mind, it's like, you know what? I'm going to reward the slightest try and see if I can't get this horse to want to try to work a cow and actually find some joy in it. And so I'd warm him up and I'd leave him way fresher than the rest of the horses. So I'd walk and then I might do a little bit of trot and maybe a little bit of loping, not very much, a little bit of trot, a little bit of, just so I know I got his body warmed up and I would leave way more freshness in there than I normally would when I would take a horse to a cow. And then I would go cut a cow and I would let him kind of sniff and you know, push that cow around a little bit. And then, you know, maybe I'm ten, only 10 to 15 minutes into the ride, I might set him up and that cow turn and I would just real gently just pick him up and bring him over there. And he would always be behind because he didn't have the desire to go get the cow in the first place. And so I would real gently start the turn and we're way behind the cow now. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, there's ocean on both sides. The cow go, can't go too far. Just let the cow go and we'll go catch her. And so he's taking his time, because that's the kind of guy I'm, you know, coming through this turn. And now the cow's way out there. And I'm, now when he finished the turn, I wouldn't spur him, but I would hustle him up with that supporting leg. And I'm like, come on, Snippy Leo, we're behind. Let's go catch that cow. And we go catch that cow. And then when we got to her, he didn't like being rushed, but it was just with the flat of my calf and the life in my body. And when we got to her to a point that we balanced her and she would stop, and then I would just melt in the saddle and melt in the saddle and he'd go and he was great at relaxing. And so we would both just kind of hang out there and relax together and we'd just be like watching paint dry, cow standing, we're standing. And then I would start to move him around a little bit and I'd push on the cow a little bit and she'd turn the other way and I'm like simply you want to turn? He's like not so much. And I'd just kind of gently bring him through that turn and I'd hustle him up and if he gave me an ounce of try I would immediately step off and since you brag on him and go put him up. And Willie's like, you worked like 10 minutes. And it's like, hey, you said I could experiment. You know, the beautiful thing about that is what I started doing is rewarding the slightest try. And I mean, it's kind of an unorthodox time to quit, but when he gave me his best for the day, and they only worked cattle every other day, the other days they went to the pasture. But when he gave me his best try for the day, I immediately stepped off, uncinched him, and bragged on him. And you know what? Within three weeks, he was moving those cows. He was bright. He was electric on a cow. He was trying to figure out what they were going to do. But I had to go internal and get his desire up by rewarding that slightest try to have a desire. Because I, I found that some of these horses, they have the desire and they have the try. But if we get critical with them, we can shut them down. Horses learn the moment the pressure that you're applying releases. And pressure doesn't mean you're physically pushing them around. It just means you could be mentally pressuring the horse to move in some way or using some energy in some way. But the moment you release, that horse is going to think that what it did at that moment was the right thing to do. So, so often we don't think about the release and you end up releasing just because you got tired or you got confused. You, you didn't know whether you were doing the right thing or not, so you stopped. That is so important to the horse. So if you stop because you don't understand whatever he was doing at that moment, he might go, well, that must be what you wanted because that's when the release of pressure happened. It's a critical thing, and I, I believe it's one of the things most people have very little concept at times of what they're rewarding with their behavior. Something that horses need to do, and I think there's so many horses that I've, I, I meet that the, the right 
their, their, their rights have been taken off them um, through education and this is why they shut down, this is why they hold tension, this is why they get anxious is because I think people have taken the, the, the right the rights off the horse and, and what that right is is the right to search and make their own decisions. So an uh, important bit of horse behaviour is if, if say a stimulant was created is you don't just increase the stimulant till the horse moves off the stimulant. You can create a, uh, boundaries and stimulants but what you're looking for is that horse starting to search and, and, and it's very subtle but you can see it. You can see their eyes start to move, you can see their head start to move, you can see, you can see them searching and when they're searching they're trying to figure out an answer and then once they're searching then you can let them search and then after that you can create you know a boundary here or a boundary there or, or, a, or a safe passage, not a safe passage, a, uh, <clears throat> a, a nice you know say here that's a good idea but you have to allow the horse to search so acknowledging searching seeing it and letting your horse search and and let it go about its searching business don't just try and control it to me it's a, a horse behavior that they do with other horses you know when they come up and nippy nippy like this foals do and they they're talking and they're trying and they're testing and they're searching and they're it's they're like finding their boundaries so very important horse behavior that you have to acknowledge and you have to allow a searching There is a big problem in horsemanship today, and that is how common it is for people to pull their horses. This causes so many issues both on the ground, where you confuse your horse and can teach him to push into you, and in the saddle, where you can create a heavy and braced horse who is carrying a lot of tension in his body. This is a habit that so many of us have. Changing this habit would make a huge difference for our horses. So anything you do with the head of the horse, if it's bridleless or with bridle or a halter or whatever, uh, don't pull. Use just slight pressure that is just hold and let go when the horse releases to you holding up the rein. Don't pull. And also, if you are pulling on the horse, you, your timing will be off when it comes to the release. Because the minute you start pulling in a lead rope or a rein, when the horse gives to the pull, you will not be able to release in the perfect time because you will still be pulling when the horse releases. But if you are just holding, the minute the horse, the second the horse releases, there will be a slack. The big difference from what I guess I do a lot now and what I used to do is I move my feet a lot more. So I'm sort of told to keep my feet still and move the horse's feet, which made me pull on the horse a lot. Because if I'm not going to move my feet, I've got to sort of pull them in the direction they want to go. And any time I do that, if you think about it, you cannot pull a horse away from you. You can only pull them towards you. So once you start pulling a lot, you will teach them to come closer. And then you'll have to do something to fix it with your other hand, and then the horse is almost going, you told me to come closer and you hit me. I think I'll start pulling on you from now on. And then you sort of build in that resistance because there's conflicting cues. Connecting to the horse's mind by rewarding the try and offering releases makes such a huge difference to the horse. 
These philosophies become even more important when working with wild horses. There's something about a Mustang that's just so raw and they're my favorite to train. Um, not because they're easy, but because no one else has imprinted on them, handled them. They have no baggage with them. They're just, they're wild. When I take in these horses who have no people experience other than being in a shoot, getting vaccinations, getting their freeze brand and tag, um, it's really important for me to gain their trust. They're untrusting and even though they're untrusting, once you have their trust, they're extremely loyal. So I've shaped my training around getting their trust and getting their loyalty and just becoming someone that they look to for guidance, not someone that they're submissing to and they're fearing. There's about 46,000 Mustangs out west right now and about the same in holding. They bring them into holding when there's not enough land for them to live on, whether it be food or water shortage or one of the HMAs is being like closed down or something like that. Um, so then they're in holding and corrals where they're still very well taken care of, but that's 46,000 horses that could have jobs. Ideally, yes, we want all of the wild mustangs to stay wild, but the reality of it is there's not enough food out there for them all to stay wild. There has to be some sort of population control. But ideally, we want to help get those mustangs out of holding, trained, and into forever homes. That's what my mission is. What I do isn't necessarily easy because what I'm doing is I'm putting in 12 to 15 hours a day taking care of, taking care of and training my horses because I'm putting them for myself. I want them to be the best they possibly can and I want to succeed as much as I can. And if that means sacrificing vacations, hanging out with friends, doing things off the property away from the horses, then I will. I will take the time I can with my horses and I will work towards my goals and I will spend hours working with them and just being around them to learn. And even this past year on my birthday I spent the whole day with my horse who was injured with the vet out because I was putting her before me. Even if it was just a minor leg injury, I was making sure that she was getting the best care possible because she is what I shaped my life around. My life is made built around these horses and what I do is just all for them. I want them to succeed. I want their lives to get better. I want to get more Mustangs out of holding, holding pens and I want to get horses who have bad experience with people better and I want them to find good loving homes. So. I will sacrifice having a normal life that a teenager would have that means doing what I want to do. And with these Mustangs, it's better to whisper rather than yell. And by that I mean it can be body language too. You don't have to physically be yelling at them. You really have to tune into them and know almost what they're thinking before they do it because they're smart and they're, they're doing the same thing to you. They're thinking before you do what you're going to do. And when you're able to tell them in a whisper rather than yelling at them, it makes it easier for them. They're not getting worked up before trying to decide what the answer is. It's just a better environment for them. And it also shows that horses are able to be willing partners when you're not working against them. When you're able to give them cues that make sense to them and give them a chance to find the answer. They're going to make wrong answers, but they have to make those in order to find the right answer. And it's just a lot of release. They learn from the release, not the pressure. So the more you reward them by giving them releases, the quicker they're going to learn, the happier they're going to be, which will make you happier. Social media is so good for these Mustangs. I wouldn't have known about them if it wasn't for social media, but social media also is 
become a very negative thing where other trainers or outsiders or people like to pick apart trainers and how they go about things or just tear people down for no reason. And that's kind of, it's kind of sad that that's what social media has become, especially since it's such a great tool, especially to bring awareness for these Mustangs. But you don't want these Mustangs to show any sort of a negative image. Even when you try not to make it negative on social media, people will find a way to tear it apart. That's why for me at least, the best thing to do is to be with the horse and focus on the horse and the training and the good people around you. Problems that people have with horses can have a few different causes. It may be learned behavior, so you've actually taught your horse this without realizing it. We meet Warwick Schiller and explore how anxiety in the horse can cause behavioral issues. Dr. Kirsten Jackson from Australia looks at how pain can often be a cause. We also hear from Julie Goodnight, who tells a story about a dangerous horse called Treasure and how humans cause the issue and how Julie is able to help him. Let's start by meeting Shona Karash, who's helped riders of all levels up to Olympic gold medalists. The horses do what they do because it's what works for them. So that's what they're going to choose to do. If any behavior increases and maintains a frequency, it means it's working for them. So it's up to me to figure out, well, I don't care for that behavior, perhaps, you know, so what can I do to change that? How can I make this other thing be a better decision? So whenever something goes wrong, I just look at it and think, this is where they've gotten to. Usually aggression has started in fear and has become a coping mechanism for them. So I look at it that and think, well, how can I create something that I can work with? I really think that training horses, most of the training issues people have with horses are the behavioral issues, you know, spooking, bucking, rearing, bolting, a lot of those things. And also training issues, like trying to do technical stuff all come back to a horse having anxiety and I really believe that getting a horse truly relaxed in the beginning and being able to not be very far away from that relaxation all the way along during the training process is the key, the absolute key to having a, like a smooth run in, in your training. I think it's really, really important and I have to share a story about a, a, a clinic in England a few years ago and a girl said, she said, my horse, what do you do with a crazy horse? And I said, well, I don't know, what, what kind of crazy is your horse? And she said, when I go hacking out, which is what they call trail riding in England, she said, I, um, I'll go hacking out and my horse will ride along and a rabbit will run out of the wet grass and he'll kind of look at it but not do anything and he'll go along a little further and another rabbit runs out of the wet grass and he'll kind of look at it but not really do anything and we go along a little further and another rabbit. I've been riding for two hours and have seen 12 rabbits and my horse hasn't really reacted badly to any of them. And then the 13th rabbit runs out of the, the bushes and my horse freaks out, rears up, bucks me off and runs away. He's an idiot. And I say, no, he's not an idiot. What happens is your horse, let's say he's completely relaxed when you leave home. He's walking along and one rabbit jumps out of the bushes and gives him a bit of a fright. And he hangs on to that one rabbit worth of worry. And then another rabbit jumps out. Now he's got two rabbits worth of worry. And another rabbit jumps out three rabbits worth of worry and eventually he gets to where he's got 12 rabbits and I said to this girl your horse obviously has a 12 rabbit limit he can hold that much worry inside before it comes on the outside becomes external and it's it's kind of the same thing with the toilet seat you can you can put up with so much stuff until you have the straw that broke the camel's back so 
I'm really, really big in my training process and when I help people at clinics and stuff, is getting your horse to be relaxed at the beginning and making sure that those horses know how to have what we call in humans emotional intelligence, how they how to make sure that they can come back down, reset their their nervous system from being up. I call it spitting out rabbits. Your horse should be able to go and spit that rabbit out. You know, whenever they get a rabbit, whenever they get a bit of worry, they've got to be able to reset themselves. Um, I think a lot of evasion is actually pain responses, um, and so all them trying to let you know that they don't understand. So, you know, putting some new device in there to try to get rid of the symptom, you know, without actually addressing the cause um, is often, uh, I don't think it's going to end up with a, a good result in the long run. So, you know, first of all, rule out pain, you know, try and figure out why are they, why is there some evasion, why do you need that new gadget? Um, and, yeah, say, make sure that there's not some pain response that is leading to the you know, to that symptom, um, or maybe get some help from an instructor or a good trainer that you trust. Um, and as I say, try and fix. I would say try and fix the cause rather than trying to hide it. You know, with the, hide the symptoms. Treasure is a six-year-old Morgan horse. He was acquired by a person that had horse experience as a child and did not go to the silent auction planning to acquire a horse. Had not given it any prior thought whatsoever. Fell in love with this horse who chose her because he followed her around and was up in her space and she liked that and so she went home with this nine-month-old colt and she proceeded to spoil it and coddle it and pamper it it grew bigger and bigger and more aggressive she didn't have much problem with the horse until he was a yearling when he ripped the rope out of her hands and ran away the first time. Um, the second time he did it, he stomped her into the ground, uh, severely injuring her, knocking her out, breaking several bones, putting her in the hospital, multiple surgeries. No one will take the horse because he's dangerous to handle. But I agreed to take this horse and evaluate it and see what I thought a possible outcome should be. And um, after two days of working with the horse, I increasingly came to the conclusion that there was nothing wrong with this horse except for very poor handling and very poor training. I believe strongly that this horse was taught everything he knows. Um, I don't think this horse has a great temperament, but I believe that had this horse been handled appropriately from the beginning, he would be a perfectly delightful, functional horse to be around. He wouldn't be dangerous. Um, he, he, would, he is a good riding horse, uh, except for this fact that nobody can handle this horse from the ground without risking their life. Um, so I, I believe that this horse, this horse's condition, he doesn't deserve to die. Um, he deserves to be handled correctly. He deserves to have had an appropriate upbringing. If you can look at every horse behaviour as valuable information and not a personal insult, it goes a long way to helping solve that issue. Uh, American philosopher Wayne Dyer says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I really suggest people look at horse behaviours, instead of looking at it as a problem, look at it as communication on the horse's part. And usually, they're communicating 
how they're feeling about something. Usually, a lot of times, people that are having a problem with a horse, the horse is communicating that something bothers them, something scares them, they're concerned about something, and horses aren't trying to get you. They're not out to get you. Usually, they're trying to save their own life. Usually, they're looking for safety, and so if you can look at it that way, it can really go a long way to helping you come up with a, a, a good solution to help them with that behaviour. I did a clinic in Australia one time and on the, it was a Saturday-Sunday clinic and on the Saturday night another horseman and I decided we are going to have a problem-solving demonstration. So we had four horses that were going to come in with problems and, and this other horseman and I drew out of a hat to see who gets what. One of the horses is a chronic rarer, rares up all the time and guess who drew that one? I did. So I said to the girl that rides the horse, I said, does he rear up a little bit or a lot? And she said, he rears a lot, like stands straight up. I'm like, oh good. And she said, I said, does he do it uh, every once in a while or does he do it all the time? She goes, no, he does it all the time. And I said, okay, will you ride him for me and show me? She goes, oh yeah. And so she came in the arena and hopped on. And I said, okay, just do your deal. And so she, she hopped on and got the whole of the contact and asked him to go and he was a bit hesitant to go and she couldn't really get him going down the arena and then she got to the other end and he turned and he rushed back to this end and then when she turned this corner she wanted him to go. I said, pick up a trot. She tried to give him a trot and he reared up. He reared up enough times to show the crowd there that he would rear up. So I said, okay, let me on him. And everybody there kind of looked at each other like, are you crazy? That horse rears up. Like, are you a daredevil? But I'm not a daredevil. I just know what causes the problems. And so I hopped on him. I didn't steer him and I asked him to go and he just turned and walked straight over to the gate and stopped at the gate. So all I did was ask him to walk small circles at the gate. That's all I did, walk small circles. I said, you can be at the gate, but you've got to walk circles. And so we both, I want to walk and he wants to be at the gate, so we're both happy, aren't we? And we walked around there for a while and after a while he said, oh, this is not much fun, can I do something else? And I let him walk down the arena a bit and that's where I let the, the reins loose. He said, I want to go back over there again. So we went back there, we did the same thing. And within about 10 minutes, he got to where I could trot him around, do all the things that this other girl couldn't do and there was no rearing involved because I got rid of the cause of the rearing, which was the desire to be over there by the gate. And you know, a lot of people with horses say, oh, you can't let them win. Where I think the opposite is true. You have to let them win. You have to let them express their opinion. You have to let them have a say and you have to let them tell you where they'd like to be the most and that's very valuable information it's not a problem it's valuable information and when a horse tells me where he wants to be the most that's where i do all my work i don't say you can't be here i say you can be here but we're going to do the work here and that usually takes care of that what i call destination addiction which is the cause of a, a whole array of problems Starting young horses in a way that builds their confidence and doesn't damage their body is a hugely important process. We hear from renowned veterinarian Dr. Robert Miller and Australian horseman Steve Halfpenny on what age they recommend starting a horse. We also visit with Smokey Branneman, who is in the process of starting his mare. The summer of 1951, I was working on a ranch in southern Arizona, where I live. Uh, and uh, I already started college on the GI Bill at the University of Arizona in Tucson, where my family lived. This ranch was near Sonoida, down close to the Mexican border. They had a half dozen colts to, to start, and they hired uh, a, a bronc buster. That's what we call them, a bronc buster. 
And I said to him, I wish I knew how to start Colts. Uh, and he said, I'll show you. And he did. He uh, helped me start a three-year-old, a gentle one. He picked a gentle one. He's the youngest one of the six. Uh, and it was typically crude, cowboy style. Uh, and I thought, there's got to be a better method. I had worked the previous summer for the uh, Irvine Ranch in Southern California. My introduction to uh, California horsemanship, uh, which was uh, a, a more refined form of horsemanship than uh, was generally practiced uh, in uh, Arizona. Smokey Brenneman is working with his mare, Nova. This is her first ride outside. She's quite a lot of energy today, so Smokey will be working on keeping her relaxed, both physically and mentally. She doesn't really want to go back towards the barn. She wants to go down the road, which is a good sign too, because she's not herd bound and needs to get back to that barn for security. But for right now, we're not going down the road on this first ride. It's just staying under control, staying focused and paying attention to me out here and learning how we have to get along out here. things that folks don't get when they're riding with these young horses or riding horses that are inexperienced is they're aware of everything around them and when you got horses running around like this up close and they're first time out here and they're inexperienced and they don't know anything they'll feed off of whatever's going on you know so if these guys got to charging around she's going to want to charge around too because that's just in their nature to do so by keeping them with you, keeping them distracted, keep their mind off of that, they're still gonna think about it, but you gotta get their head back with you. You know, get them turned around, get them moving someplace, get them to forget about that and settle down and just work them through it instead of getting scared and going to pulling and jerking and yanking and all the things that folks do, you know. And eventually those guys accept the fact that there's a new one out here and they settle down and then she settled down and everything starts building better. But it's just a little bit at a time and getting them used to things and figuring, figuring out that coming outside is a good thing, especially when it's hot, like today. Don't tell your horse off for wanting to do more. If a horse is wanting, as a youngster, if he's wanting to go forward, don't try clamp it down because what people do is they bring this, this enthusiasm and they crush it. And it's really sad because you can have a really willing young horse with a nervous rider and the, the nerves channel to the horse. So the main thing is think positive. Horsemanship over the past half century has improved tremendously with our knowledge and the distribution of knowledge. There's only one place we've gone backwards. We are starting horses younger and 
younger and working them harder and harder and breaking them down prematurely. I'm very aware of that as an experienced veterinary practitioner. When I graduated veterinary school, only in the racing industry where Colts started as two-year-olds. Now it's done in every discipline, in every breed, and even under two years of age. And the other thing is we have bred horses selectively for greater strength, greater speed, and greater uh, agility than nature ever intended. And as a result, there's more stress on the things. That means we should be waiting longer to start colts. When I got out of school, a colt was a four or five year old. Now it's two or even 22 months of age. Or recently I saw an 18 months of age under saddle being started. This shortens their lifespan, breaks them down. It's a terrible mistake. And so uh, I urge people to delay. If anything, you should we should be starting them later now because of the greater performance that we've brought into horses. It's more stressful, so we should wait till they're even older. I live in rural South Australia with my wife Irena and our 13 horses. I spent most of my time on the road teaching people horsemanship and I always try and put the horse first, no matter what I'm doing or where I am. Recently I got a call from a friend of ours that spent some time in Bali helping somebody with some horses and he'd done a lot of groundwork and recommended that I was the person to go and help start these horses. We packed our bags and headed over to the airport and off we went to Bali to start these horses. When I'm working with horses of any age, there are a few things that I really have to consider. Are they physically in good condition to start with? There's no lameness, there's no issues, no pain that's going to cause me a problem. Especially when I'm thinking of starting a horse, I've got like age considerations. You know, they're not mature enough until they're six years old, I don't think now personally to be started. So I'd say minimum would probably be four nowadays. At six years old, the spine is closed, or closing six to seven years old. So I didn't know that for a long time, and now I do. I, I really feel that it's really my responsibility not to do any damage. So when you start horses that are way younger than that, you can cause problems in the spine, your kissing spine, other issues when the joints are still open. They're not really shaped in a way that can carry weight. So I'd rather leave it later, even though physically they've, they've been, well, I guess mentally they've been learning to be a horse for a little while so as long as they've had decent groundwork and they've got good manners there's no reason why I can't leave it a little longer to start them. You know, some people would say you're better off leaving them, starting them really young when they're mentally easier to shape but with good work you can easily leave them a little longer. And these horses over in Bali they were five years old so they were close to my goal of leaving them to six but their health and welfare comes first. You know, it's really important to me that we do no harm. There was a, a philosopher from Córdoba, uh, his name was Seneca. 
And Seneca has a very beautiful uh, sentence. He said, if you got all the knowledge in the world, but you cannot transfer to somebody else, it was nothing. And to me, that's important because uh, what I'm trying to do is transmit, transfer this, this knowledge that it wasn't originally mine. I got it for Ray Hunt, and I got it for Tom Dorrance, and many other people, and I got it from Jerry Sanders. What I'm trying to do is transfer this knowledge because if I keep it for me, it was nothing. But if I can trans transfer it to somebody else, it's kind of infecting people. So if I can infect people for the rest of their life, I'm going to feel very good. So I hope you enjoy that. And if you'd like to watch all seven episodes, you're welcome to grab a DVD of the whole box set at listeningtothehorse.com. Now I want to say congratulations to some of our students. So first up is Annette. So she said, we did it. Becky is her horse. So she said, I mounted Becky from a three-step block and we went on a spook-free ride down the road, down the road, I should say, through the old airfield and farm and back home along another road. We passed cars, a dog, a tractor with a trailer and rode the whole way beside a bike. I didn't think we'd ever get over the mounting block fear and fear of pretty much everything else. But with patience, listening and lots of horse treats, we did. That's fantastic. And then also huge congrats to Tamara. So she said that she spent, no, actually on the second day of trying the one pole exercise which is something that sounds really easy actually really tricky but on her second day of trying it and maybe a total of five to seven minutes uh, time spent she did it perfectly with her horse who is a beautiful gray horse he looks really nice and um, so that is really good that's a huge achievement and then lastly Betty said that in the past years I've not worked much with my horse during the winter with the weather being this cold here in Ottawa though not as cold as in other parts of Canada my horse and I tend to exchange static shocks frequently. Oh dear. So I'm happy to say that Liberty Exercises have provided us with a way to have fun together without it being electrifying. <laughs> I just came in from walking around the paddock with her. She stayed with me every step of the way without a halter or rope. She turned when I turned, stopped when I stopped, backed up when I backed up, and reverse direction when I did, all without having to touch her. That is fantastic. Well done, Betty. So keep up the good work, everyone. If you would like to be featured in this section of the podcast, or you just want to read some more inspiring stories about our students from all around the world, all you need to do is join our community at starthorselistening.com. Thanks very much for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to discover more about my work and approach with horses, or you're interested in improving your pole work, your liberty work or lateral work, you can find out more about me and check out our range of online courses at greyponyfilms.com.